as he does around here. I don't even have to ask. I look, and there he's doing something. And so, JP, we just love you. Can we show him our appreciation as he, as he comes to bring us the word? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it is such an honor and a privilege to, uh, to be up here. Uh, this is only the, I think about the third time I've, I've brought a message uh, to a group this large that wasn't in captivity. So uh, <laughs> y'all uh, be sure to pray for me. Uh, two weeks ago on a Monday evening, Pastor Allen called and asked me if, uh, if I'd bring the message Sunday morning, two weeks from now. And uh, I thought about it this long. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I went home to my wife and uh, told her, I said, well, I'll talk to Pastor Allen today. She said, you did? I said, yeah. She said, what do you want? I said, well, he asked me to uh, bring the message Sunday week. And uh, there was this look of, of uh, panic on her face. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, you said no, didn't you? I said, well, no, I said yes. Then there was this real big look of panic on her face. And uh, by then, I started panicking. But uh, I realized that my wife knows the fallible JP. Y'all get to see the good JP up here. My wife gets to live every day with one that's fallible. I, I sin. I can be stubborn. I know that's hard to believe, but I can be stubborn. <laughs> I can be argumentative. I can be judgmental. Uh, I can lose my temper, ask guys that work with us. Uh, there's one builder in town specifically that you could talk to that knows that I've lost my temper. But one thing about it is I'm forgiven. And, uh, you know, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 7, and 8 talks about how God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. And I'm living proof of that. Not that I'm, I lived a foolish life. I stretched the limits of God's grace. There's, there's no doubt. All of us have. But he is a compassionate God. He puts us in positions where he can be used. Not me. Where he can be used. And that's why I want people to see. Not me. I want them to see Jesus in me. Uh, the lesson I'm going to talk about tonight, it, it's not complicated. But yet it's the most complicated thing I ever went through in life. Uh, when Jesus uh, went to the Garden of Gethsemane and started praying, he prayed three different times for this to pass from him that he wouldn't have to go through with it. He prayed so hard that he sweated blood. But then he realized the decision had been made. He was going to have to go through with it. Let's go do this deal right now. Uh, he looks up, and here comes Judas Iscariot. He knew Judas had sold him out for money. And in Matthew, if you look at it, it says that he called him friend. He reached out and called Judas Iscariot friend. What are you doing here? But he knew, but yet he still considered Judas his friend. And if you read through 26 and chapter 27... It talks about how the religious leaders threw Jesus under the bus. The Jewish people picked Barabbas, a murderer, instead of him. 
this from a man that had committed no sin. They had to make they had to find people to lie to find a reason to crucify him. They had to get people just to lie. They beat him, they flogged him, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they mocked him. They nailed him to a tree in between two rock, two crooks. And this was the, the, the most awful way to die. This just showed and wanted everybody in town to say this, this, this guy here didn't deserve to die a, a normal death. He needs to be looked upon and spit upon. That's what Jesus did for us. And I think it ought to be required reading for every Christian at least twice a month to read this. So, so that every time we read it, something new comes out of it. The fullness, trying to understand the fullness of what Jesus Christ done for us that night and that day. When we start understanding the fullness of what he did for us that day, Jesus starts growing in us more. The fullness of Jesus Christ in us starts to grow more. The Christian life's not rocket science, or I wouldn't be up here. You know? The whole secret is that we want more of Jesus in us and less of us. The number one obstacle in my wife, in my life, especially, <laughs> sorry, honey, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> the number one obstacle in my life has been unforgiveness. It started out at a young age, and... Uh, by the time I reached 16, I'd seen enough of the... I'd, I'd looked at people and not Jesus Christ, I'll be honest. And uh, from the time I was 16 till I was about 41, I basically just turned my back to God. I'm not going to lie to you, that's what I did. And Because uh, I'd found a better way. The ways of the world, the, the, that I could work things out better, things I'd seen happen in church that happened to my family and to us. I said, if that's love, I don't need nothing to do with it, I'll go find a better way. And uh, the unforgiveness in my life just built up, built up, and there was bitter anger, resentment. And the, the devil, any pipeline that I had going to the Lord was totally clogged up. You know, if, if you look at God's love coming down to us and there's a, there's a water pipe and the God's love is water coming down that pipe, all that unforgiveness... Starts blocking it. And in my life, by the time I reached 39, it was at a complete blockage. There wasn't nothing. Wasn't nothing here but a black hole. And uh, I thought of forgiveness. I wanted forgiveness the way the world wants forgiveness. I wanted equal justice. If I'm sinned against with 10 pounds of sin, I want 10 pounds of sin. Of, of forgiveness over here, I want them to feel the same way I did. Anybody ever felt like that, or is that just me? You know, that we want justice. We don't want forgiveness. We want justice. We want an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know? But uh, God's forgiveness deals with grace and mercy. Just the opposite. Man, I didn't like that at all. I, I'm an old country boy. You know, if somebody done something against me, you know, they hit me, they were definitely going to get one back. There wasn't going to be a turn the other cheek. It was going to be whatever. And uh, 
as I said, by the time I hit 39, it was just, I felt absolutely nothing for nobody. Well, first off, we're going to talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denial. If Brother Greg, if I was walking out there in the lobby and he came up and all of a sudden just reared off and kicked me right in the shin, forgiveness is not going, oh, my goodness, he didn't kick me. That's okay. <laughs> and just ignore it. That, we're, we're, we're making this simple. That's, forgiveness is not denying that that just happened because that happened. I'm going to have a bruise to prove it. Second, we can't bury it, pretend that it didn't happen, deny it, you know, repress it. Three days later, I'll just say, oh, that's okay, he didn't mean to do it. Three days later, I see him coming, I said, man, there he is, he kicked me in the shin for no reason. Man, I, see, that's repression, saying, well, it didn't happen, but it did happen. Uh, Third one. Is forgetting. And this is here we're going to delve in it a little bit, forgetting that it ever happened. <clears throat> I'm not going to forget that Brother Greg kicked me in the shin. <laughs> They're probably going to have a bruise in there for four or five days, maybe a week. But there has been in my life at a young age, my dad died when I was four, and from the time I was seven to ten, or six to ten, I lived, my stepdad was, a, uh, was an alcoholic. And we dealt with physical abuse. We, we dealt with mental abuse. And everything goes with alcoholism we dealt with. That you cannot forget those things. They stay with you. Everyone in here has had sins committed against you that you can't forget. They make you who you are. Whether it be divorce, whether it be drug addiction in a family, Young kids being tore up by divorce. Not, not intentional sins, but they happen. And it has effect on the people that it sinned against. You cannot forget. They make you who you are. If you have a lifeline, this is where you, you're born and this is where you are right now, there are certain events in your life that shape you. Some of them are positive, some of them are negative. These negative events, when they happen, hopefully... We're going to deal with them and have a little bitterness and a little anger. But after we turn them over to the Lord, hopefully they're going to start turning back into a positive. Does that make sense? Last thing. Forgiveness has not been a doormat. I'm not going to come in here every day and let Brother Greg kick me in the shin. (laughs) It's not going to be a doormat. And in that, that's a simple way to put it. Uh... I'll say this, thank God for Child Protective Services. Sister Mindy Reed, you're a special, special person. Uh, Homes for battered women. God does not expect you to stay in a position where unrighteous acts are constantly committed against you. He does not. So hold on to that. Uh, See, some of this stuff I get a little emotional about because, as I said, it shaped me, and it made me who I am. So let's get into what, what is sin. What, what, what is forgiveness? What causes it? And how does it happen? Over here, 
we have the sinny, the person that, that the sin is committed against. And over here we have the sinner. I know sinny is not a word, but that's the best one I can come up with, sinner and sinny. And uh, I'm going to use this, this, this little example of what I'm talking about. This is me. You can ask my wife if you don't believe me. I'm driving down Interstate 20, traffic everywhere all around us, and you've got to drive 75 or you get ran over. And I, I got a car and a half link in front of me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes one of them little ninja motorcycles. Just boom, right in front of me. Your first reaction, that knucklehead, and that's on a good day when I would say that knucklehead. <laughs> but really, in actuality, anger was not my first response. My first response was, was one of fear. I thought I was fixing to have a wreck. I thought I might get hurt. Then anger came in. That's that secondary emotion. It came in and said, mm, man, he could have caused somebody to get hurt. He could have caused somebody to get killed. And then if we really let sin start taking over, we become the judge and the jury. We're going to go cut him off and let him know how we just felt. This is the simple thing I'm talking about right here. It's not always that simple. First off, when anger comes, anger is not always a sin. It's, uh, it's an emotion. Ephesians 6.23 says, be angry, but do not sin. When Jesus came to the temple and the money changers there, and they'd made a mockery out of the house of God, Jesus got mad. He ran them out of the temple. He didn't sin, but he used anger for something positive, to do God's will. Anger inside of us, when it first starts out, is just an emotion that comes out that's there to protect us. And, uh, but the thing about anger is that we cannot use it as a tool to correct what has been done to us. You understand? I can't use anger to get back at Brother Greg. When he's not looking, I can't go up to him and kick him in the shin. <laughs> you know, anybody that ever said that living the Christian walk is fair, well, it's not. We as Christians are held to a higher standard. <laughs> Where the world gets by with anger, violence, retribution, we're supposed to use words like grace and mercy and forgiveness. Like the other day when a Brother Shake was at the, the babes downtown. You're held to a higher standard. That blood that washed over us when we became a Christian, it's our responsibility to live to a higher standard. Uh, another example of that would be if uh, Brother Pastor Allen has been living Christian life all his life. Say somebody here never been saved and 55 years old and they come up here today and get saved and say the Lord comes back tonight. Pastor Allen's going to heaven. This man that for 55 years, he did nothing. He just served the devil, did what he wanted to do, but he started turning his life over to the Lord. He'd been a Christian for six hours and the Lord comes back and they both get to go to the same place. What's fair about that? It's not fair. But that's not what the Christian life's about, about being fair. Okay? Uh, once we got, we've got hurt and we got anger, 
the way we need to deal with forgiveness is this. When somebody, this is the way I looked at it. This is the way the lesson was taught that I looked at. When a person commits an offense against me, before they commit that offense, they commit that offense against God. You understand what I'm saying there? When you decide to, to, to commit a sin against somebody else, you make that decision in your head to commit it, you automatically sin against God. Then you sin against me. And the first thing that we have to do when somebody has sinned against us, once we can finally make the decision that we want to make things right, a good way to, to make this decision is to say this, Brother Greg, I'm going to live for the rest of my life with the consequences of you kicking me in the leg. I'm going to live with that. But I am not going to hold it on your account. I will not charge it against you. When we do not charge that account, that account against Greg anymore, we just turn it over to God. You understand what we're trying to say here? When I said, I'm not going to forget about it. I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm not going to let him kick me again, but I'm not going to hold it against him anymore. I'm turning it over to God. And that's hard to do. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in a minute some of the time. Bullying at school. Man, you, you hear about this. Kids are hanging themselves because kids can be so cruel. You know, there's got to be some forgiveness in there. You know? They're, 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 it's tough. Once we make that decision, where the, whatever the offense was, we make that decision to turn it over to God, and we're not going to hold it against them. Two things happen. The first thing is, is that sinner, that sin that he committed against us, we give that sin back to God. And, and what happens? We start getting part of our mind back. Because when we was holding a grudge against Brother Greg, Brother Greg owned part of my mind. He owned a piece of real estate in my head. And, th and this is just a simple part, okay? There, there's sin has been committed against all of us that are horrific. And if we can't let go, they own part of your brain. They own you. That's part of Satan in there owning you. But when you make that decision to say, I'm going to live with the consequences of what you've done with me and what you've done to me. And I'm going to learn how to deal with that through grace and mercy and forgiveness, but I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. That brings back restoration. That gives it back to God. The sin was originally committed against God, and now it's been turned over back to God. When Jesus died on the cross, that night when he went to Gethsemane, and he went through the things that he went through. It, it, it's unimaginable. Not only did he die for all the sins of eternity that I'm going to commit, that Gray's going to commit, all the sins from when he died from now on, he also died for the sins that were committed against me. Does that, does that, do you all get what I'm saying there? When he was sweating out them drops of blood and all that stuff that he was going through, not only was he dying for my sins, but he was also dying for the sins of those that would be committed against me. 
And uh, when I was 39 years old, uh, my mom and dad had died, and uh, I thought I'd reach rock bottom. And uh, I don't know, it was probably two months after that my mom had died in May. It came back to me. From the time I was uh, five and six, we'd be, we just had a babysitter's house. Grandma and Grandpa, natural babysitters. Everybody loved going there. Grandma was great. But when I was 39 years old, it came back to me that, that Grandpa wasn't. You can add one and one together, and Grandpa didn't have any business babysitting kids. I, I don't know why the Lord allowed it to come back to me at 39, but it did. You, I, I couldn't be mad at Mom and Dad anymore. They wasn't there, you know. I couldn't be mad at, the, at Grandpa because he died. So I, I got mad at the only person I know to get mad at. I got mad at God because, you know, I'd been five, six years old. I hadn't done nothing wrong. I was innocent. How did you let that happen to me? I thought you was a loving God. Well, to make things even better, when I was seven and eight, we moved to uh, Brownwood from Cisco, and I remember the shining star neighborhood boy who was 13 years old. That came back to me. You can add one and one together, and it equals two. I was living out in the country in a little single-wide trailer house. I had to get through four gates to get to by myself. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I couldn't hit nobody. I'd already tried to numb myself through drinking, through alcohol, through sex, through everything the world had to offer, and none of it was working. You understand what we're talking about here? And that unforgiveness, I just kept unforgiveness. I just let it control me. And now I, I, was, I was nowhere. I was nothing. But somehow, some way, when Jesus said he took our sorrow, he took our grief, he took our shame. He started taking mine. Because he knew I had to be mad at somebody. Our God's a big God. He understands that stuff. You know, sometimes it's all right to get mad at God. He loves you. You know, my son loves me. And he gets mad at me some of the time. But that's all right. I still love him. You know? Uh, it was about this time, 1996, I met my wife. And like I said, I wish I knew how all of it turned around. I don't. It wasn't like one day I decided to make this decision, well, I'm going to start following God, and, and here we go. It wasn't that easy. You know? It had to be a day at a time. By the time I visited this uh, church when it was downtown in, uh, I think it was 99, God started to work in me. He started allowing healing to start happening. And uh, you know what's kind of scary is whenever you think of uh, children of alcoholics, there's an 80% chance they'll turn into alcoholics. Young men that are uh, sexually abused, there's a big chance that they're going to turn into abusers. God did this opposite for me. He allowed me to be a child advocate. Love to go out and help kids because I know what they're going through. There's some of them kids up there at the detention center, you hear their story. It's a horror story. No wonder they're there. And, and it's like people just forget they're there. They're in this jail. They deserve to be there. Let's just cut them off. Let's stay take care of them. 
And that's all I'm going to say on that one. Uh, my wife, when we married in uh, 2001, about four years before that, when we started dating, I had a sister-in-law. I didn't. Get, our parents had both died, and I inherited a sister-in-law by the name of Debbie. And uh, my wife and Debbie, her younger sister, are best friends. And uh, Debbie was, uh, when I first met my wife, She Debbie had just started the effects or, or living the life of a crack cocaine addict. The first three or four years, we were, we, I say my wife, she was the forgiving one of the family, was trying to fix her. She was doing everything in her power to save Debbie. Now, I'm a little country boy that you all be pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, and I wasn't feeling the same forgiveness or helpness of it. Well, it was about this time we'd gone on a vacation to Mexico. We came back, and Debbie had been at the house taking, supposed to take care of everything, and uh, my truck was gone. This is truck number one. <laughs> Three days later... I know where you're coming from, Brother Shea. Three days later, my truck was found in a neighborhood in uh, in Fort Worth that didn't need to be in. But I went and got my truck. And, uh, of course, anybody that's dealt with addiction, everything that you could have hopped was gone from my truck. All my tools, CDs, it was gone. My wife said, well, you know what, honey, we'll just, we're just going to get, we just won't let her have a key. We're just, we're going to get on with it. Just forgive her. She didn't take your car, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, the addiction started getting progressively worse. We we had had to set standards down. She no longer could stay at our house. We, We no longer were giving her financial aid. We would still even though I didn't want to, but I knew the secret to a happy marriage, would visit her at jail. If she was a visitor of the state, we'd go visit her, and I'd learn that there's some battles you win and there's some you don't, and I'm going to jail with her to see her. And uh, as I said, she couldn't spend a night with us. Well, one night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and any time you get a knock on the door at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's not good. It was the police. And uh, they'd found Debbie on the county road somewhere it was 40 degrees misting kind of wish we had that weather now but right now <laughs> debbie was stuck outside in it and this was the only place she knew to come the cops brought her there michelle said i'm sorry she can't spend the night here well ma'am you don't understand this is your sister we leave her out there she could die she could hypothermia this is your sister don't you love her can't you just spend the night and you you let her go tomorrow I'm sitting there going, no, we done made this decision, honey. She's not, da-da-da. And I seen her breaking down. I said, well, the, the police finally convinced her to do it. I said, okay, she can spend the night here. Well, I'm an early riser. Got up the next morning. We had a carport at that time. You went out the back door and the carport was here. Her car was there. My truck was out here in the driveway. I opened the back door. Wasn't a car there. <laughs> I knew my wife hadn't gone to work early because she was still in bed when I'd left. So I went and looked in the spare bedroom where Debbie was supposed to be staying. She wasn't there. 
Went and told my wife, said, honey, you better get dressed. I'm going to have to give you a ride to work today. She said, why is that? I said, Debbie barred the car. <laughs> uh, we laugh about it now, but it was not a laughing matter at the time. Uh, week and a half later, on a Friday night, we get a phone call. We reported it stolen. They'd pulled her over. She got to go to jail. Well, they said, you can come pick up your car Monday morning. So, okay. Monday morning, we go up there to get the car. And that lady at the, at the window there, my wife has proof that it's her car. That lady said, well, that will be $127. And I just thought my wife was mad when she found out her car was gone. But when she had to pay $127 to get our car back that had been stolen, I was thinking to myself, this is it. She done crossed the line now. <laughs> We're no more trips to the local uh, crossbar motel. But you know what happened? She was mad. She was angry. She was hurt. The car was a disaster. We were trying to clean it out. There was food everywhere. All the CDs had been hawked. She says, well, I heard her on the phone. Could you please tell me where Deborah Fogarty, she was arrested last Friday night. Could you tell me where she's being held at? We spent the rest of the part of that Monday trying to find my sister-in-law. Went to the fourth facility before we finally found Debbie. She wanted to see her sister. I'm sitting there going, she's lost her mind. I'm saying this to myself. I didn't say it to her, but I'm thinking she has lost her mind. She stole her car. It cost us $127 to get it out. But she went and talked to her. Luckily, I couldn't go in. It was just one visitor. She came out, and, she, and the, my wife was still angry. She told Debbie how she felt. But she let that forgiveness go to God where it needed to go. Well, I know it's hardly, it got worse. The, the, the drug disease got worse. It got to the point of we probably went to five different facilities to visit Jebby over the state of Texas, all over and my wife, had, we'd, we'd talked, and she said, you know what, honey, I, I know you don't understand this, but I never know when this is the last time I'm going to see her. Because if, if something didn't happen, she was going to die. You can't live on the streets and be a crack addict for any long period of time. You just, it's just not, it doesn't happen. One other occurrence don't know what happened exactly. She came to visit us, and she borrowed my truck one more time without permission. And I happened to leave my billfold in it, which my wife informed me I'm not supposed to do. I, I like just leaving my keys and billfold in my truck because I think everybody's honest. My wife thinks I'm stupid, so she, <laughs> she borrowed my truck. Luckily, she brought it back that night. And... Uh, we, we, we had set all new rules for Debbie. She could not come and see us. There would be no money help at all. And we would come and visit her when she wasn't high. If we knew that we could see her and we could talk to her, it was, it was, it was really tearing my wife up. Me, I just blocked it out. I just acted like she didn't exist. 
About three years ago, Debbie had finally committed enough crimes that they caught her walking out of a uh, clothing store without paying for stuff. And uh, they had built up enough, and Debbie was going to have to do some hard time. And uh, they told her, said, you're going to have to serve at least a year and a half. So for the once a month, every month, we made a little trip to Gatesville to go see Debbie. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to prison visiting people, but they treat you like you're a prisoner. When you pull up there to that lot in that car, you hadn't done nothing wrong, but you get out, they search your car. They get a, a, a metal detector going through it. You're just like one of them. You go through four doors that are shut, shut behind you, and uh, you're not going anywhere till they let you. And I really, really did not like going there because there was such a feeling of repression. Just if, if you've never been to prison and visited somebody, it is such a state of hopelessness when you're in there. When you see babies come to see their mama, grandparents raising their kids, their grandkids because the mama is in jail because of drug addiction or alcoholism, 95% of them people in prison is either due to drugs or alcohol and the offenses they committed to get there. And I hated going there because I see firsthand what Satan could do. Well, Debbie started telling Michelle, saying, I can't do this no more. She said, I'm on my last leg. When I get out of here, I'm not going to use again. I can't do it. And I don't know how many times we'd heard that, but it, it was a bunch. And, of course, my wife said, you know, when she said that, we was on the way back home. She said, honey, I think she meant it. And I'm just sitting there driving. Heard the same verse, second, second, same song, second verse. That's what I thought. Well, Debbie had got married it, right probably a year before she had gone up. And uh, when she got out, her husband was waiting for her. This was uh, two years ago, about that. Uh, May, Debbie finished her first semester of college. This summer, she is uh, going to summer school. She's been clean and sober for two years. Three counting the year in prison. That is a story. That's how forgiveness works. You live with the causes and, and, and the things that happened because of that sin, you got to live with it. We had to learn to deal with her stealing from us, from her lying with, from us, or Michelle did. I didn't deal with it well. But she turned the forgiveness over to God, and that was the key. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you, JP. Let's pray. Lord, there's many of us here who are convicted by the word we've heard today. Forgive us, Lord, for being armchair quarterbacks and not in the trenches where the action is of showing kindness to those who do not deserve it, Lord. 
sitting back on our success, judging others and looking down our noses at those that are such disappointments. Forgive us, Lord, for every ounce of unforgiveness and judgmentalism. In Jesus' name. Lord, make us a community of mercy, a house of hope, a fortress of relentless lovers of those whom you love, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is wrestling with addiction, fooling themselves with being able to hide it and still function in their life. Lord, help them to cry out to you and to become honest with themselves and with someone who can help them, Lord. Rescue them from this road. Lord, we thank you for this testimony and the work you're doing in Debbie's life. And along the way, Lord, the work you've done in JP's life. For Michelle's example to us all, Lord, we honor her today. You make beautiful things, Lord. Sing it to us, Pastor Shake. Thank you. 
in a moment I'm going to have you stand and have the prayer team come join me across the front and the praise team can come join Pastor Shake up here and as they come forward I invite you if you need prayer for anything for anything related to the sermon or to tomorrow or what you're facing this month or to relationships whatever or to your own need we're here to minister to you okay so let's stand at this time if the praise team the prayer team could come forward and as they're coming forward if you'd like prayer about anything we'll be here to pray with you just come up and uh, come to a person that's standing here at the front and receive prayer God does beautiful things and he uses prayer to do it amen you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of with you if you're a member here turn to someone near you and welcome them to the house of the Lord get to know them and someone you don't know especially and ask them can I pray with you about anything amen Lord we thank you that you make beautiful things out of us out of dust thank you so much and now Lord we pray for your people that you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them that you lift your countenance up upon them and give them your peace in Jesus' name, amen. Get to know someone and pray with someone. God bless you. Thank you, Lord.
All around. 